you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter, or Psalm 46 rather. Psalm 46, verse 10. As with last week, we're looking more at an overview of prayer in general. And so we're going to do a few different verses. We'll touch here. This will be our, 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 our touchstone verse. We'll come back to this a lot. But we're going to look at several aspects of prayer today. Let's read together Psalm 46.10. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word today. The Word of God says this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's pray. Father, may you be exalted in this room today. May we think deeply about prayer. May we search our own hearts. May you convict us, encourage us where we've gone straight and narrow. And Lord, we just pray today that your word would bear fruit in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a very old Christian proverb that comes from Africa. Brother, the grass grows on your path. The grass grows on your path. One of the first places that Christianity landed and found a real home was actually in Africa. One of the first Christian nations is Ethiopia. Not many people know that, but it has a long and storied heritage and tradition in Africa. So it's no surprise that one of our old proverbs comes from this, this area. And in the early days, the African brothers and sisters were known for being extremely devout and having fierce prayer lives. One of the things they would do to find seclusion, to find a place where they could be alone with the Lord, they would, they would go into a dense thicket and find for themselves a spot where they could be alone. And well, you can imagine, as time goes on, they begin to wear a path to that spot in the thicket. And you could see cross, crossing paths, and people knew where their paths were, they knew where their other friends and brothers and sisters in Christ's paths were. And so if someone was lacking in their prayer life, pretty soon the dense thicket would begin to take back over their path and their brothers and sisters would admonish them and encourage them with the words, brother, grass grows on your path. You've not been in your prayer closet. You've not been in your place to pray. Do you have a, a thicket uh, probably not many of you have a literal one, but do you have a place? Do you have a time? Where and when do you have conversations with a father? Now you might say, well, any place, every place, and that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But many of us have a place and a time. I, I know some of my places, and we just moved to a new home, so I've lost some of my places. I have to find new ones. Maybe it's not a place at all, but a time. Maybe there's a time of day when you know you're going to have some privacy, some seclusion. Wherever that is, whenever that is, it's my hope that you will find yourself there a little more often after today. 
Last week, I encouraged you to commit Scripture to memory, to meditate on it, not with a, a big, difficult plan to follow, but with a simple word, meditation. Thinking deeply and diligently about the Scriptures in order to grow in your faith. This, this is what, what we talked about last week, and it goes hand in hand, inextricably, with the Scripture, or excuse me, with prayer. As a matter of fact, there's going to be some kind of overlap here where we're not really sure if we're meditating or praying. And sometimes it's exactly the same thing at the same time. But today we're going to look at three aspects of prayer. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, pretty soon I'm going to tell you that we're talking about more than just the word prayer. But we'll call it prayer for now. Uh, as you can see, my sermon title says conversations with God. This is more like what we're talking about today. You'll see what I mean in a moment. But the three aspects of prayer, the process of prayer, we're going to ask what it is, the power of prayer, what does it do, and the practice of prayer. How do we do it? This is a very, very simplified uh, version of this today. There is so much information about prayer in the scriptures and other books and places. Don't take this as exhaustive. Hopefully, though, it will whet your appetite for prayer. First, the process of prayer. That is, what is its parts? What does it look like? What are we doing? W what is prayer? Well, the scripture has several words translated as prayer or pray. In the Old Testament, we see the word palal, meaning to judge or intercede. Abraham asked, for, uh, asked to pray for, intercede for Abimelech in Genesis 20. Athar, meaning to burn incense in worship or to go before the presence of God. In Genesis 25, Isaac prayed before God for Rebekah to conceive. Na'al, meaning something like ask or beg. Exodus 33, Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. And there are a few other words that mean basically the same kind of things used less often. And the New Testament is dominated with the word prosyukomai, which means pretty simply to pray to God, to supplicate, to worship. In the famous passage, Matthew 6, Jesus says, but when you pray go into your inner room close your door and pray to your father who is in secret there are a few other words used less uh, often meaning things like petition or supplement or supplication to ask or beg but pretty much all of the words in the bible that we see translated as pray or prayer means almost the same thing they almost all mean to ask for something now we know that's not all that what we think of as prayer is, but there is more to prayer than prayer. <laughs> Today we're talking about conversations with God, and it's more than asking God for things, even if those are good things, even if it means asking for forgiveness or asking for help. Prayer is more than asking for things. And today I want to talk to you about your conversations with God, about your communication with God. Even the scriptures talk about People communicating with God in other ways. There, there are groans that God hears in, uh, in, in the Exodus. People seek his face in Second Chronicles 7. People call out to him in Psalm 145. Psalm 66 says people shout for joy. In John 1, we confess our sin. There, there's so many things we do when we communicate with God beyond just asking for things. I want to look at two of those two of those this morning when we're looking at what prayer is. Prayer is listening beyond supplication, beyond asking for God for things. 
Prayer is listening and prayer is worshiping. First listening, our passage this morning, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Two commands here. And the first one is by far the hardest, right? It is a cliche, but it bears repeating. One of the problems that we have, especially in our day and time, is being still. We just don't take the time. We don't put forth the effort. We go to bed late after working a long day. We get up early and we rush to get breakfast together and rush out the house. If you're like us, rushing to get kids here and there to practice or this and that. If God wanted to get a hold of most of us, he would have to tag us in a post. Direct message. By the way, God, I miss you. Put yourself in a place where God can hear, where you can hear God speaking. This is what it means to be still. Put yourself in a place where you could hear him if he wanted to talk to you. God's not a fan of yelling. And you wouldn't be a fan of, if God had to yell at you either. I was reminded of a story a while back. Well, actually not too long ago. Myself, when I was a kid, I have to say I don't remember the story. So I'm not sure how true it is. But there's a rumor that I got my head stuck in the chair at a Godfather's Pizza when I was a kid <laughs> probably true and I have a little bit of claustrophobia so when I get trapped somewhere I go bananas even to this day and so when I was a kid I was going berserk nobody could get me out you couldn't hardly grab me I was screaming and punching and kicking and clawing and everything and everybody was looking at us and finally my my father you know being the big burly guy he wrapped his arms around me and just put his head next to mine and said be still and then just lifted me up a little bit where the bars kind of widened out and my head came right out but I could not be still my father spoke to me be still being still before God is more about contemplating it's about meditation it is about communing with God and what you already know it is about dislodging the distractions of the day from your mind, being still. It is about putting aside your stress and your worries and being still. It is about not thinking in the moment about all the things that you know you ought to be thinking about, but you really, you really don't. Be still. One of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture comes from 1 Kings, and I'm going to read it for you in the King James Version here. Which is the only way to read something like this text, I'll just say. This is God speaking to Elijah. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It's when you sit with bated breath, straining to hear the still, small voice, you will hear God speaking. Oftentimes, it is the world that speaks with thunder and fire and lightning and tornadoes. It's, 
It's here I am, see me, look at me. God's voice is often missed because we are not listening for it. Be still. The second way we commune with God is in worship. Remember, besides supplication, is worship. There's so much in Scripture about worship, we won't obviously get anywhere near that, but, but, but let me say that it is part of communing. Psalm 66, we referenced it earlier, says, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your names. I chose this passage because it has the word worship and praise, which is often separated out in the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament. Uh, there's two sides of the same coin. We think about worship as a very reverent experience. We think about praise as a very joyful experience. It's, it's the same, the same, uh, usually the same sort of thing that, that, that drives us to it, but it's different, different um, reactions. Being in God's presence, being in awe of Him, being overwhelmed with Him, in some cases it drives you to your knees and you, you want to put your face in the dirt. You feel unworthy. You feel the reverence and the holiness of God. And in other cases, it does the opposite. It drives you to your feet and you want to lift your hands and you want to shout and you want to praise. Both of these postures is part of what it means to have a conversation with God. It's part of communing with God. It's part of what happens when we meditate on God's Word. When we pray, yes, we're driven to worship Communion with God is more than asking God for things. It's also listening to God. It's also worshiping and praising God. Secondly, we see the power of prayer. The power of prayer. What does it do? What does it do? Let me first say prayer can change your circumstances. Prayer can change your circumstances. Think about the power of prayer when you, when you immediately think about it, you probably think about God granting requests, God doing something for us. And, and this is truly a large and a wonderful part of power of prayer. James describes the power of prayer pretty detailed. And he talks about how in verse, chapter 5, verse 16, the, the prayer of a righteous man is effective. It's powerful. It can accomplish much, he says. This is the power of prayer. By the way, on a side note, I want you to think about this. The effectiveness of your prayers, at least in part, at least in part, is determined by your own righteous living. So even if you don't care about God granting, uh, taking care of you, if you want to pray for your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, you better make sure that you're living right. Now that's another sermon for another day. But, but that being said, God does have mercy on us, doesn't it? He hears the prayers of unrighteous people for sure. I don't think it's the norm. I don't think unrighteous people ought to expect that. But we know that he does because he is merciful, because he is loving. If you think about it real simply, how would anybody ever be saved if he didn't hear the prayer of an unrighteous man or woman? But nonetheless, God hears our prayers our prayers can accomplish things and are effective to varying degrees as long as we recognize sometimes God's plans are not our plans right sometimes we think 
we know what we want until God gives us, grants our prayer request, right? Sometimes we ask for something and God does something better. But it's in prayer that we trust God. We truly trust Him to do what is best. We have to trust God to know what is best and to do what is best even when we don't understand it. That's the power of prayer to change our circumstances. But probably, I would say almost for sure in, in my view, the greatest power of prayer is not in changing my circumstances, but in changing me, changing you. This is the ultimate power of prayer. It's to change you. Prayer is most helpful at changing who you are and changing what God can do through you. Think about it. It's with a prayer that you first expressed faith in Jesus. You first repented of your sins. And there was a change wrought in you that is so miraculous that the, 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 the human words can't even really describe it fully. Transition from light into darkness, from one kingdom to another, dead to life. Blind but see. None of these illustrations comprehend exactly what happened to you. And it happened to you because of a prayer. Because you put faith in Jesus. Inside your prayer closet, you discover some things about yourself. The deep, dark depths of your depravity. How sinful you are. You also, hopefully, discover God's forgiveness. Maybe you've been praying and God has revealed to you where you ought to be serving, someone you ought to be caring for, loving. God reveals your giftedness. God helps you to understand who He is, who you are. It's when we're still before the Lord and just listening and open to God that our hearts can be molded and shaped by the Father. Many of you in this room have children, and I want you just to think about a simple, a really simple point. Children don't learn when they speak. They learn when their father speaks. They learn when they listen. The hearts of children are shaped by listening to their parents, by hearing the wisdom, by obeying, hearing I love you, correction, encouragement we have to listen to the father part of that is reading his word and part of that and almost at the same time simultaneously is being still before God there is power in prayer to change the things around us but there is more power I believe to change what's inside of us this is really the ultimate goal of prayer not to change what's around you but to change what's inside of you But there's a third aspect of prayer, and it is the practice of prayer. There's a practice of prayer. Matthew 14, 23 through 25. I believe we read some of this earlier. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. What I want you to see from this scene is not the wind and the waves. I want you to see Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray, fully aware of everything that was going on. Don't you think that he knew his disciples were getting battered by the wind and the waves? And don't you think that sometimes I don't have time to pray because there's something more important right now that I need to be doing? I want you to put yourself in the scene with me. I'm going to do something I, I don't normally do. I want you to think about this. You might want to close your eyes. If that might feel weird to you. You don't have to. But just listen to the scene that's being set. It's been a long day for Jesus. A very long day. And Jesus, after escaping to the eastern and uninhabited side of the Sea of Galilee, was found again by the, the hungry crowds. And I do mean hungry. Because after teaching them, he fed them all. Thousands of them. Even the Son of God gets weary, tired. It's getting late. And the sun is setting across the Sea of Galilee. And one of the disciples, maybe Peter and his thick Galilean accent and even thicker uh, fisherman's beard says, Jesus, we, we really ought to be heading back, Lord. And with a lot of discussion and assurances that he will be all right, Jesus convinces all of the disciples to go on ahead of him. And as Jesus watches that little fishing boat slip out of sight over the horizon, he begins his ascent up the mountains. With his back to the sun across the sea, he, he can feel the cool breezes coming down off the mountains, rushing down the mountainsides into the valley where the Sea of Galilee is. The same breezes that he knows are stirring up violent winds and choppy seas and storms. And Jesus, aware of the well-being of disciples, this crosses his mind he thinks about it, but his heart yearns to be alone, to be with his Father, to sit, to listen, to pray, to be renewed. He scrambles up the hillside, maybe a little bit out of breath. He finds a comfortable place to stop, to commune with his Father. By this time, he looks up in his twilight. There's a star or two in the sky. It's getting cooler. He's high enough you can barely smell the salty sea, but it's quiet, except for the distant cry of a seagull. And Jesus took one last look out over the sea where his disciples were. He knew the exact spot where their boat was. And he knelt to pray. The last thoughts were for how he had to shove his disciples in the boat and push them away from shore. How he had to climb a mountain just to get away from the crowds. It wasn't easy, but he was finally alone. And the Son of God snatches a few moments to commune with his Father. Scenes like this are not isolated. This is a pattern for Jesus. In his life and in his ministry, 
I can't think of a more humbling scene to happen upon than this one. The Lord and Savior, the Almighty Son of the living God, knowing that He has a short time on earth, knowing that everything is calling out for His attention immediately, filled with ministry and needs and desires, He finds time to be still and pray. Not only is He being chased by mobs of people He's teaching his own disciples. He's feeding thousands. He's healing multitudes. He's casting out demons. He's teaching in temples. He's confronting religious leaders. He's raising the dead. Meanwhile, walking everywhere that he goes, all around the region, teaching about his kingdom. And he's just, put a, just got a tiny window of three years to accomplish everything he's doing. Now let me ask you, what are you doing that you're so busy you can't find time to pray? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm just too busy. You healing people today? You raising the dead? Training disciples, apostles? I, I, we do good things. I'm not saying our whole time is wasted. But what I am saying, there is no one who had more reason to skip prayer time than Jesus Christ. He made it a priority. He climbed a mountain for crying out loud. When was the last time... We moved our schedules to pray, canceled an event, opted out, woke up early. I hope this example of Jesus doesn't discourage you thinking, well, I'll never be like that. Let it challenge you. Let it challenge you. Don't expect it to be easy to revolutionize your prayer life. It won't be. Take small steps. And when you stumble, keep going forward. Don't look back. And I want to ask you simply today, brother, sister, is there grass on your pathway? I'll admit developing time with communion with God it takes a lot of work. It's practice. It's not an overnight fix. That's probably the biggest problem, right? If we could just cram it all into one day, boy, we'd be masters at it, right? Let's just, let's just set aside one day and get it over with. But now God begs to be with you every day. He begs to speak with you. And don't expect every prayer to be a Mount of Transfiguration moment. Sometimes I think that's too. We, we, we go into the prayer closet or we, we, wherever it, maybe it's in your car, wherever it is, and we pray and we come away from it and we think, well, that was a dud. Even Jesus only went to the Mount of Transfiguration once. Don't expect every time you go to prayer to be a mind blower First, find time, find a place, cultivate your communion with God, bring your Bible. Whether that be written like this or whether that be in your heart, bring your Bible so that you can commune with God, so that He can speak to you, so that you can be still and hear what He has to say. And maybe you're here today and you don't care about this or maybe you do but you can't really fully understand it. You've, you've not placed your faith in Jesus or you're just curious or you're seeking. Or maybe you know for a fact you're separated from God. 
Today's the day for you to throw off your pride and come to Jesus in faith. Admit that you are a sinner in need of grace. There's a prayer Jesus always hears, the prayer of repentance and faith. He will always hear every time and he will grant it every time. If you will come in faith, Jesus will grant that prayer to you today. In just a moment, we're, we're going to have a time of reflection. It'll be a time for you to think about your prayer life, hopefully. A time for you to, to recommit, hopefully in 2021, to meditating on the Word of God and communing with God in a deeper way. We won't have the altar open here for you to come and pray, but if you would like to speak with myself or Pastor Matt, we'd be more than glad to speak with you after the service. And if it's a long conversation, to set up a time where you can come by the office and talk further. But right now, we're setting aside this time for you in the pew to do business with the Lord, to pray, make that commitment, even this morning. If you have other questions about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist, we'd love to talk with you about that as well let's bow together and pray and after this prayer we'll have that time of reflection Father I do ask today that your, your word would have spoken to us and convicted us the, the example of Jesus Christ the selfless example the, the, the difficult example of leaving the disciples to find time to pray would encourage us to carve out time in our schedules Lord, I pray that even myself, you would drive home that point with me today and that we would be this year, First Baptist Church would be a people of prayer. Lord, and we do also ask that if there's one who doesn't know you today, that you would convict their hearts of sin, Lord, and enlighten their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And we pray that also in Jesus' name. Amen.